1983, New Testament scholar and feminist theologian Elizabeth Schisler Fiorenzo wrote a groundbreaking book in memory of her that highlights the marginalization of women in the early church, despite the fact that Jesus and Paul radically included women in their ministries. The story that best illustrates how women were marginalized is in our reading today. A woman anoints Jesus' head with nard, an extraordinarily costly ointment. Through the objections and cries of protest, Jesus proclaims, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The irony, of course, is that this woman's name is lost. To be sure, John's gospel identifies her with Mary, brother of Lazarus, but that is not the case in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Luke even puts it in a different place, in, this, in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Here it is during the Passion narrative, and she anoints Jesus' head with oil, not his feet. In any case, she's unnamed in all three Gospels. She's anonymous. And rarely have I heard, let alone preached, a sermon on her. It seems that Jesus' words have not been fulfilled. But in another way, they have been fulfilled. This unnamed woman, along with the other women who were part of Jesus' earthly ministry, haunt the Gospel. They aren't flashy like Peter with his alternating alternating braggadocio and cowardice. They, nor are they like Paul with a wild conversion experience. What they are is consistent. They're faithful. They're present in Mark after the disciples abandon Jesus. And later on in Mark, during the crucifixion, there are women <coughs> present they're, they're far off, but they are there. And this woman understands who Jesus is. The question of Jesus' identity permeates the Gospel of Mark. From the beginning, the, lead, the reader is let in on the secret. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. However, very few others know. Whenever Jesus encounters unclean spirits, uh, unclean spirits, he orders them to be silent. For half of Mark's gospel, Jesus takes great pains to keep his identity under wraps, ordering those he heals to be silent about him, though this inevitably fails. His opponents certainly don't know who he is, and the disciples, those who should have put two and two together, don't get it until chapter 8. Even then, they continue to woefully misunderstand what being God's Messiah means. They think it means power and greatness according to our human understanding of those terms. That's why they grow more and more anxious and afraid as, Jesus as they approach Jerusalem. Jesus keeps attacking those false notions of greatness with a promise of thri th told three times that he will suffer, die, and be raised. And each time... Each time Jesus does this, the disciples desperately try to change the subject to something else, either to greatness or power or some other guy casting out 
demons instead, who weren't, weren't part of them, even trying to correct Jesus directly and school him on what Messiah actually means, which Peter hilariously tries to do. Of course, they do finally understand, otherwise we wouldn't have a gospel to proclaim, would we? But this woman doesn't need to wait until Jesus is raised on Easter morning. She knows who he is now and performs an extravagant act of love befitting who Jesus is. Anointing serves two purposes. First, remember who was anointed in the Bible. Kings and priests were anointed. They were anointed as a sign that God had chosen them to exercise that particular office. The dead were also anointed, as Jesus points out. Shouldn't be any surprise why oil is often used in baptism to make the sign of the cross. Oil, anointing with oil at baptism, reminds us that we are kings and priests after Christ our Lord, and also we share in his death, both things at the same time. This woman understands the paradox at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is indeed Messiah and Lord. He is therefore worthy in the words of Revelation, and you probably remember it from, from Lutheran Book of Worship settings 1 and 2. He's worthy of blessing and power and glory and might. Right? However, this Messiah's destiny runs through the cross and the grave. This is a Messiah who, as Jesus tells his disciples earlier, will give his life a ransom for many. This is a Messiah who will die so that we can live. As with the widow who dropped her last two coins in the temple treasury, Jesus does not challenge her agency. Second time that this has happened, but he embraces her actions. He notices her. He notices her act of love shown to the divine and as a judgment, also as a judgment on human standards. The objections the crowd raises here are likely hollow. The old rhetorical what about that's plagued reasonable discussion since the dawn of civilization. We have to do something about this. Yeah, but what about this? Just a stalling tactic, just a way to confuse and befuddle and to keep anything from really being done. The unnamed objectors are just another example of human resistance to Jesus' mission. To be sure, Jesus has no objections to showing kindness to the poor. The gospel, after all, is primarily good news to the poor. Apologies to, homo, to, to my homiletics professors for crossing Gospels a little bit, but it's still true. The Gospel is primarily good news for the poor. In fact, such kindness is a moral imperative in the Bible, along with kindness to the widow and the orphan, who, who are the, the paradigms of the most vulnerable in any given society. But Jesus gets at the bigger issue. What else, what's going on behind the crowd's objections. The absolute refusal to see who Jesus is and what this woman is doing for him. 
And indeed, without the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can't make sense of Jesus or his mission. It all looks like nonsense to us. Jesus, to unaided reason, looks like another would-be failed Messiah. Or worse, and this is far worse in my opinion, as a merely a good moral teacher who got killed for being too nice. This, this woman does away with all such human assumptions and reasoning and standards with a jar of nard. She shows us who Jesus really is, the Lord and Messiah of creation who dies to redeem a hardened and broken humanity. That's us. Jesus dies to redeem us. On this Passion Sunday, that's what the Spirit calls us to remember. Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's not someone who got killed for being too nice. And he certainly isn't a Messiah according to our standards. Jesus is our Messiah and Lord and God according to divine standards alone. And it is because he is Messiah according to divine standards that he can also redeem us by his death. It is because he is our Lord by right that he can give up his life to give us life. It is because he is our God that he can grant us grace in the first place. The Spirit open our eyes and break our hearts of stone to see Jesus for who he really is as this woman saw him. May we always remember what she has done and more importantly, who she is. Though she is unnamed, God remembers her. And wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel that proclaims Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the life of the world is proclaimed at this pulpit and at every pulpit, she's honored. She is remembered. Let us pray. Lord Christ, those persons the world deemed marginal were those who were most faithful to you during your earthly ministry. Help us to be faithful to you as she was. Enlighten our hearts and minds to understand that you came to us not as a conqueror, but as a servant Messiah, laying down your life for many. Amen.